This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Put Your Game Together, Ethical Management in Youth, Sports, and Business, and the author is Donnie Howell. And Donnie joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Donnie. Hello, Steve. How are you? Well, I'm doing great, and a great addition to why kids need to play sports and why adults need to think carefully and control their emotions so it stays fun, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's, uh, you know, there's some other things like uh, my experiences as well. As uh, I grew up a very poor kid, and uh, you know, I had to deal with a lot of uh, adult type problems. And you know, you really need to get away and, and have some type of activity to release you from all that kind of stuff. And you know, playing new sports for me was just an absolute god saver and uh and I, I appreciated my time and the good coaches that I had and I can see now today we're getting away from all that you know the coaches and the and the parents in new sports are all worried about winning that plastic trophy as opposed to uh really reaching out and helping some of these kids and we all know that kids sports is so important because basically everyone can play and obviously uh, winning is great, but it doesn't occur that often on some teams, and there has to be some kind of redeeming value here for these kids. Uh, you know, perfect way you just laid that out because only one team wins everything every year. You know, there's always one champion, you know, but what happened to the other guys, you know? They still had a successful season because they devoted their time to make it right for the kids. The kids are ready and learned to go to the next level. Um, and that's what it's all about. It's about teaching this young, these young kids this sport. Not only did you play football, uh, had a, a career, and I know in high school, did you play some college as well? Um, I actually had a, a little uh, cup of coffee at a San Francisco State um, because of my um, my uh, my poverty level. Uh, I wasn't able to maintain and stay there. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I spent a little time in uh, San Francisco State, but uh, mostly I was just a, you know, a better-than-average uh, high school football player. Uh, my grades weren't really good enough to be seriously looked at at, uh, at other schools, and, and that's why I, uh, I try to teach these lessons you know, to the, these kids that I coached in high school. Don't blow your opportunities here. Go to school. Don't, you know, don't, don't make a mistake like I did. And how long did you coach in high school? Uh, Twelve years. Well, a lot of experiences there, and I'm sure a lot of opportunities to really teach uh, the basic principles of life, and that's what your book is about. Yeah, it is. It really is. It's about common sense approach to, to getting back to, to the reality of why, why you want to be a coach in the first place, why did you want to have kids, and why did you want them to play a sport? You know, you want them to learn and you want them to meet other kids. You want them to, to learn to socialize with people in their community. And, and again, get, getting away from the focus on winning every week and getting to that plastic trophy, focus more on, on, uh, on what I just mentioned earlier. 
What would you say to parents who, you know, we all are excited to watch our kids play and we get emotionally involved, but what would you say to them, if, to especially to a parent who has some kind of a, an emotional outburst in a game, maybe against the coach, maybe against a ref, or maybe even against one of the kids playing? Yeah, and, and believe me, I've seen a lot of that too. I'm, I'm sure you know. Um, and, and we all have, you know, no, nobody really, uh, you know, says, Hey, what a great time it was sitting next to Mr. Smith while he was yelling at the officials in the stands, you know, but I think a lot of that comes from these people, these parents, they want what's best for the kids. They want the team to win. They think they're being supportive, but they're not, they're actually a distraction. And what they need to do is go take that energy, go ask the coach, how can I help? How can I be a part of the program? Get down there in the middle of it. If you want to yell from the stands, you're not helping. Get down there, get with the coach, ask how I can help out and be a part of this. Yeah, years ago, I can even remember uh, a couple parents after a very heated, uh, boy, what were they, were 10-year-olds or 11-year-olds playing basketball, you know? <laughs> yeah. Parents coming right on the floor, I thought they were going to duke it out. Oh, I know. It, it, it's just emotions and it's communication. And, and believe me, I've seen that too. And, and that's one thing I do like. I talk mostly about football in my book because that's what I feel like I'm an expert at. But, it, but it, the same thing applies to baseball. It applies to basketball, tennis, whatever you're, you're coaching, whatever your parents are, you know, uh, whatever their involvement is. They really need to just get involved. You know, don't, don't get to that level of anger because you feel like you're on the outside looking in. Go get involved. Well, your book is filled with, I can see by looking at the table of contents, the title of the chapters, you can see these principles that are throughout your book. And um, let's let's just talk about a few of them just uh, in the time we have. Uh, one of them's called Building the Right Base. Mm-hmm. What do you mean, the right base? Uh, building a base is like a foundation. You know, uh, when you're going to start building your football program, um, you want to build it correctly from the ground up. So what I'm saying is focus on your base. You know, get your principles in place. Find out who your parents are. Find out who's willing to help. Find out what type of assistant coaches you have. Are they going to follow your same ethics and principles? And then you lay all this out up front for everybody to see. You know, and you talk with the parents yeah, uh, you, you get a, a community built, and you say, okay, now let's get the kids involved, and let's build it from here all the way up. Well, it sounds very critical, especially to have everybody um, you know, seeing the same reason we're doing this, catching the same vision. Yeah, and, and that's, that's all it is. It's common sense. It's using ethics and principles, knowing right from wrong, and building something that's going to be fair for those kids to participate and play in the, uh, in, uh, in the game. You know, uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, especially today, uh, everything is a pay to play. You know, most most places you have to pay money for your kids to play. Well, you're the kid that's a third stringer. His parents pay just as much as the first stringer. So you have to have a plan in place when you're building your base. How is everybody going to get some involvement and get some uh, some of their money's worth out of this thing? Now, that's a real challenge for those competitive parents and coaches that winning is everything because that young man or young girl, they need to be out on that field or on that court just as much as the good, you know, the so-called uh, athletically blessed players. 
Yeah, and uh, and and I'm not, you know, I understand, uh, you know, we all want to win, and maybe they don't have to have equal time, but they definitely need time. You know, I mean, we we definitely need. There's definitely ways to get them in the game, get them participating. They should be learning and practice just like the other guys, taking the same reps and doing those kinds of things. Now, a lot of this that you learned as a youth coach and as a high school coach, these same principles you took right into the business world. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of actually got them uh, simultaneously, really. Kind of got involved in both around the same time. Uh, But the same ethics and principles apply. Because, again, we're just talking about ethics and principles, knowing right from wrong, having a, a vision on something that you feel is fair for everyone. Um, I talk a lot in my book about how young managers uh, can manage uh, different situations. You know, each chapter talks a little bit about, you know, uh, when you talk about building a base, um, there's a section in there talking about how to build a base for a football program. And at the same time in that chapter towards the end, I talk about, well, this is how you're going to build a base for a business. It's the same thing. You line up the same people, you have the same ethics, you got the same principles, you're still trying to build something fair and Uh, equally challenging for everyone. Another title of one of your chapters, this one says, Let Them Be Proud Too. Now, are we talking about the kids there, Let Them Be Proud Too? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you, uh, you know, a lot of that I talk about too, where, you know, you can't just drop your kids off at practice and not worry about them. You know, oh, I'm going to drop them off. Coach Smith is going to run them for two hours. I'll come back and pick them up, you know. They want, to, they want to feel proud. They want to be proud. They want to show you, the parents, more importantly than they want to show the coach, they want to show you what they're capable of doing. You know, this is their time. Let them be proud. Let them get involved uh, in the program. Get the coach's perspective. They're trying to please the coach. They're trying to please the parents, and they're trying to please their teammates. You know, it's about making sure that they feel proud. Another uh, title says, Stay Calm When Pressure Hits. I think we've talked some about that. Anything else that you could add there? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, perfect example of that is uh, take a coach on the sidelines. Um, a play goes wrong. Um, a kid fumbles the ball or they jump off sides and the play is, uh, doesn't get to, uh, get to unfold. A coach goes all beside himself. He gets thoroughly upset, throwing his clipboard on the ground, kicking, you know, cones, whatever. He's just showing big-time emotions. That's going to lead him into the next two or three bad decision-makings. You have to understand that jumping off sides is part of the game, throwing an interception is part of the game. You know, those things happen, and you need to have a plan for that and be ready to calm yourself down, move on to the next thing, and continue coaching the game. I guess we could learn a lot from uh, some of the great teams that we like to follow. When you see the coaches on the sideline, a lot of them just have this stoic look on their face. It never changes throughout the game. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think that was mostly my look too, because uh, um, uh, I just your mind is just always spinning and it's always going, and and you you should be thinking a play or two ahead. Right, and, yeah. and I think that's that's just that competitiveness that a lot of these really good coaches out there have. Tony Dungy's a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about coaches losing their cool. I can still remember in high school playing football, and you know, and that was back in the days, back in the 60s, where I guess you could get away with this, where the coach got it so upset, he'd come around and he'd kick the players right in the rear as hard as he oh, could, yeah. you know, <laughs> right in yeah, front of yeah. everybody. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it, that was going to motivate us. <laughs> yeah. 
in youth football, I had a coach that carried a, a chin strap around with him, and then he'd whack it on top of your helmet and ring your ears, you know. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of old school stuff that, uh, you know, and that's why we evolve as better people as time goes on. You know, we kind of learn from those mistakes, and, and we should be passing the, 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 the better ones on, you know, I think is what I'm trying to accomplish in the book as well. Now, here's one. It says the title, Camp Concord for Moms. Yeah, that, that's a really fun chapter, too, and, uh, and it was a really, really fun experience. Um, I talk a lot in there about uh, my wife is, is very educated on football. Um, she comes from a football background. Uh, her girlfriend, Christy Anderson, her dad is George Anderson, trainer of the L.A. Raiders and Oakland Raiders for over 33 years. And uh, so they grew up next door. She also, you know, went through me and my football stuff and coaching and everything. And she always gets it when my kids would come home from school or I'm sorry, from, uh, from practice, she would say, Hey, how'd practice go today? And they would get, she'd always get the same answer. Like, good. You know, that was it. And she's like, uh, uh-uh, no way. No, I need more information than that. You come in here and you can tell me about what happened because she understands positions. She more than my friends, she can call a penalty before a penalty happens during watching a game. And I started thinking about that, thinking, you know what? A good way to get the Concord community together is by getting the moms more involved. So I did a camp Concord for moms where the moms would come out one Saturday during a spring game, uh, at spring practice, and they would get to work with the coach. If, For example, they'd work with me. I was coaching running backs. So all the running back moms would come with me. They'd go through a full practice day just like I do with my running back players, Show them uh, what it looks like when a linebacker's coming at you, what it looks like when you're running through the hole, what your responsibilities are. And I figured if, if the moms could actually understand exactly what their sons are doing and daughters and what they, uh, what they actually see and feel out on the field and know who their coach is, they would both be able to have more dialogue at home and they'd also be better community supporters and help out with fundraising and, and get together as a group and meet other moms. Well, very wise practice, it sounds to me. Great, great job there. I'm sure you won over uh, all those moms. I had moms coming to me uh, every year. They'd talk about how they, they told their, um, their coworkers at work about it all week, how much fun they had. Oh, I'm sure they did. That, that, you know, and it made them closer to their sons. Their sons probably felt a lot uh, more from them since mom's really trying to understand what I'm going through. Because this coach yeah, is really pushing me. <laughs> yeah, we would close the day with a with a barbecued lunch afterwards. They'd play like a little scrimmage football, a little flag football, <laughs> and then we'd have a barbecue lunch for them, and it'd be served by all the all the players to the moms. So the moms got to meet the other players. They got to meet the other moms. The community was together, and it was just a really great time. Respect brings respect. That's that pretty much says it right there. Um, you got to respect these kids, especially like now we're talking a little bit more in high school. I never took to talking to the high school players as if they were uh, little kids. I talked to them as I would one of my friends. You know, you talk to them like young adults because that's what they are, and they'll respect you a lot more for that. Well, that's for sure. We all want to be treated, no matter what our age, with respect. That It just builds self-esteem. Well, sure. And, and, you know, even as an employer, you know, uh, I believe in sitting people down instead of, uh, you know, uh, all the talk and the conversation that's buzzing around the office, you know, hey, so-and-so did this, you know, hey, so we don't like so-and-so or whatever. Uh, he's not doing that good of a job over here. I would call so-and-so in, sit him down and say, look, 
this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm hearing. Now that you know what I'm thinking, it's up to you to prove me wrong. And so go out and do it. That's just being respectful to that person, knowing that he has a, a livelihood and a family. He may not even be aware that he's doing something, you know, and it might be a, it might be a rumor. So he has an opportunity to, to, to write the ship. Same thing when you're dealing with these players. Hey, how come I'm not playing? You explain to them why they're not playing. Why am I not the starter? You explain to them why they're not the starter. Straight up, face-to-face, you know, uh, let them have a chance to develop and grow. Donnie, tell us how to get your book. Uh, DonnieHow.com. Go to my website. You can get it there. It's also on in bookstores everywhere. Um, And uh, it's also on Amazon and things like that. People can get it through iUniverse and just ask for it anywhere. Just ask for Put Your Game Together, Ethical Management in Youth, Sports, and Business. Donnie Hall, thanks for being on iUniverse Radio. Steve, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate the time. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. East Texas Meals on Wheels needs your help. For the first time in 35 years, Meals on Wheels has a waiting list for meals. Currently, we serve more than 3,500 meals per day. With the help of donors and volunteers, we can eliminate the waiting list and serve more meals and ensure all who need a hot, nutritious meal are served. You can call our offices toll-free at 1-800-451-2912 to find out more about how you can help. You can also visit our website at www.mealsonwheelseasttexas.org. Again, toll-free at 1-800-451-2912 or visit us on the web at www.mealsonwheelseasttexas.org. After all, when a person needs a meal, they need it today, not tomorrow. Thank you for helping Meals on Wheels. Saturdays on toginap.com. It's Author Talk. Get the story behind the story on fiction and literature, graphic novels, horror, mystery and crime novels, romance, science fiction and fantasy, westerns, history, humor, inspiration, and every genre. It's all on Author Talk. You'll get to hear new authors talk about their books. Take the opportunity to hear insights on what inspired them to write it. It's called Author Talk on toginet.com. And it's presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their book around the world. Author House has assisted more than 30,000 authors, producing over 40,000 titles. Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen, every Saturday on toginet.com. Radio with a cutting edge. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, The Traveler, and the author is Jenna Lindsay, and Jenna joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Jenna. Hello, Steve. This is a science fiction thriller, and it's intense and action-packed. Sometimes uh, it has some very intense, and even some people say even they could use the word horror, that it, you take us to the extreme of our emotions, 
And this is about a time traveler, and I, I just want to kind of set it up with a, just a reading a little bit from the prologue. You write, The machine was ready. The traveler examined the final data again. After centuries of traveling from world to world, she felt afraid. After mediating political disputes, preserving treaties, and preventing wars, the traveler felt small, uncertain, and alone. Why? Yes, why, did you, why did you write this book in the way you did? What, what, what was the motivation? Two things were happening. One is um, I was noticing that uh, particular phrases were used cavalierly that people would say, I'm sorry, but, and it seemed to me to discount the apology, and that the phrase, I love you, was frequently misused as well. I love you, but. I love you, therefore, whatever I've done to hurt you is okay. And contemplating that, I was, uh, it was winter here in Calgary, and there was a street light uh, across from my study window where I was just sitting, mulling over, you know, various ideas, and uh, snow started to blow across the light, and I thought it looked really beautiful and magical, and... Uh, I, I thought, what, what is magical, what is so powerful about this phrase, I love you, and what is so magical about the snow? I, in my study, I had a photograph of a castle in winter, and I started to combine these different ideas and images, and I wanted to pursue them with magic, but also uh, with science fiction fantasy, to blend those two genres as I was blending these ideas and images so um, I thought, well, I want time travel, but I, I don't like too much technology, but I'm going to need a little bit of it. And I want something very magical like castles and, and blowing snow in, in a, the early light of evening to me, to me was visually really beautiful to look at. Uh, of course, I was inside my study where it was nice and warm. And that's how I started. I started right there. And at the end of chapter one, it actually, um, it says, I'm drunk, propped in the doorway across the street, saw a man and a woman talking beside a lamppost. He blinked, and they were gone. It began to snow. And that's the end of chapter one, and you're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. So in the prologue, we have the technology, but we have magic happening at the end of chapter one, part one. And then uh, from there, I take you through uh, a world of magic and castles and then I take you to another world where it's technology and um, then another world again where there's more magic and finally um, is she going to use this the time travel machine she's created or isn't she so I, I, I really enjoyed working with the, the blend of genres and and I I really enjoyed creating a mystery uh, it was very unexpected to me how how chilling it got, how scary. Um, definitely 180 degrees around from my from my first book, which was so much of a, more of an adventure. This this one is um, this one's intense, as you said. And it has a happy ending. It does have a happy ending. I I'm a stickler for happy endings. I I and at, I hope that. Um, the story is literally told in a flashback in the prologue. The traveler, Ginny, is 
looking at this time machine, will she use it or not? It's a, it's a very, it's the most important decision she will ever make because if she has made any miscalculations, if anything goes wrong, that's, this is her one chance. And so she has to really be 100% certain. And she, that's why she's frightened. And she says, I looked out the window and he was there. And so the entire story is her remembering. So if at any point in the story, you start to get really anxious or scared or think, oh, oh, this is great, but it's, I can't sleep. <laughs> I have to shut the book. I, I have to put it down. Oh, I can't put it down. I want to know what happens next. Um, you just have to say, oh, right. This is, remember, she survived all this somehow. I have to find out how, see if I can figure out the puzzle for myself, solve the mystery. And um, then in the epilogue, well, she'll make her decision or not. And either way, there will be a happy ending. But you've got to buy the book. <laughs> so is Ginny in search of love? Ginny has love. She has real love. Um, she's explaining it to her friend um, at the near the start of the book in chapter one. Real love, more than true, and better than everlasting. Real love, incomprehensible, passionate, peaceful, and life fulfilling. And she has that, and she loses it, and she struggles to regain it. She, she needs to regain her memory, which she loses for the first time she travels, and to understand why she's traveling and how can she possibly return to the real love uh, that, she, that she had and that she's, she's hanging on to, that that's her motivation as she travels, to understand what's happening to her, why, and how to get back to the real love. And she travels alone. She does. She travels alone. She she meets, um, in part two, she meets a wonderful, wonderful uh, person named Susach, who is uh, instrumental in helping her, befriends her. They become fast friends. And uh, I really, I really liked that. In part three, again, she she is befriended by an, an, another uh, woman, uh, Brinadar, and the, the two of them have a few things in common, and together they, um, you know, try to escape the really horrifying truth that's lurking in the shadows. In this book, there's a lot of description of light and shadows. I find shadows can be spooky, they can be dramatic, they can be beautiful. The change of light can alter how, whether you speak in a hushed whisper or um, whether you speak boldly and loudly. So I, I played around with that a little bit. Does Ginny have uh, an enemy that kind of pursues her or she's pursuing? I mean, there's always that forces of evil in, in, that have to be dealt with. Well, I don't believe that, and certainly there there are villainous people uh, in each each world she travels to, who um, believe that the, who don't believe that they're uh, villains at all, and like the person who says I'm sorry or who says I love you, and that's supposed to make everything okay. That person doesn't believe that they've done anything wrong. They don't believe that they're in any way a villain or harmful. And is she being pursued? No, she's she's being pulled. And um, you know, it, you have to read the book. I, I I've said that before. I'm sorry that I don't want to spoil it for you, especially for people who 
who'd like to solve it themselves, who don't cheat and skip ahead to the ending, uh, <laughs> um, that it it gets really interesting. And um, uh, I, myself, would be surprised sometimes. I'd be writing and doing a revision, and I'd say, oh, wow, that's really interesting. Who wrote this? Oh, wait, I did. <laughs> It's kind of like standing on the sidelines, right? And here you're yeah. right in the middle of the game, but you're on the sidelines at the same time. And I think that's authors go through that often, especially with fiction and especially with thrillers. I mean, that, that, yeah. uh, because your uh, readers are going to go, oh my goodness, I didn't expect this. Yes, that's, I hope, I hope that, the, that it's unexpected, um, that the, the, that it's compelling. I really, I want you to be scared and and have nightmares uh, if you like to be scared. Um, it's uh, the focus of Ginny. Is, she's surrounded by a lot of chaos, and I want you to feel that chaos and trust in yourself and in Ginny uh, that you're going to survive it. And if you feel at some point, oh no, this is too scary, just remember she's already survived it. So just hang in there with her and try and figure out exactly what's happening. And that's when in part three it gets, that's where the horror is, where you go, oh, wow, oh, that's really, woo, that's scary. And, and then you, and then it keeps going from there and you say, whoa, now what? <clears throat> that was fun for me <laughs> as a writer. And, uh, so far, people have been saying to me, wow, I really enjoy this. Well, you say that you found it difficult to write those mm. scenes of violence. Yes, I did. I always do. And the scenes where Ginny was experiencing the violence directly were really disturbing to me. I, I really found it difficult to write them, and I would write the scene, and then I would leave my study and just breathe deeply and... Uh, try and be very detached from it and then I would go back in and read it over and say okay now uh, to make it really well written what do I need to pay attention to here and there and then to make it flow and and be you know cohesive with the story um, and true to the character and the supporting characters and there's a lot of supporting characters and a lot of um, subplots and uh, that to to write the scenes of violence um, I I took a lot of breaks <laughs> I took a lot of breaks but when you're reading it them in context it will hopefully it's it's not like page after page after page of violence I like to be succinct it's there because it's necessary to the story only and it's brief it's to the point it's in my my I hope well written and keeps you on the edge of your seat and then you're out of it you're clear of it and you know why that happened and you continue to read to find out more um, but they were hard to write because of, I, I I I don't like scary movies myself <laughs> you don't like scary movies you just like <laughs> to write one. them you just Pardon? like to have other people experience the scary yeah. movies yeah. <laughs> 
or the scary write it, book. And they're here, you read and skip the scary bits. <laughs> yeah. But you can't really skip very many of the scary bits in The Traveler because there's so many of them. They're, you know, it's uh, it, mystery in and of itself is, is scary. You don't know what's going to happen next. What's going to happen next? This is intense. You, she cannot remember. She can't remember. And when she does remember, well, what is it she's remembering? And um, it's, it's very... Um, uh, uh, writing it, I'm very concentrated and deep within what the character is experiencing. Then when I revise it, I'm one step removed and a little bit further removed. But the first time someone reads The Traveler, I hope that they very get really compelled and involved and experience that. And just if it's disturbing and unsettling to them, I've done a good job. But also just remember that it's all told as she re- she reflects back on how she got to the point in the prologue. We've got a so couple I'm, more minutes in the uh, in our talk here. Okay. Uh, Jenna, uh, one of the supporting characters in your book said the universe is a cruel place, but not maliciously so. So that kind yes. of sums it up, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, we tend to think that when we're going, we as humans, as people, we think that when something is going terribly wrong and we can't see how we're ever going to survive it, uh, that it's on purpose that we're being punished or that we deserve it or that there, or that there's no hope. And, and it is tough out there and it is scary. Whatever's happening to something terrible and extraordinary like time travel and traveling through time and space, or something like um, that really frightens you. Maybe you have to get up and get up in front of a lot of people and give a public speech, and it's scary and awful. And you're thinking, "Oh, I can't possibly do this." Whatever the context, um, it's not the universe is a cruel place, but not maliciously. It's it's not personal, and you know you will get through it. You will have your happy ending. You say that it's a story. Filled with mystery, it's chilling, it's about love, and the characters are strong, determined, and desperate. Yes. Traveling to five different worlds, and it's now. So all the above that combine into this thriller, intense, action-packed science fiction. We congratulate you on your second book. Yes. And much different from your first one. Completely, and it's not a sequel. I've had a lot of requests for a sequel, and sorry, this isn't it. Well, how do we get your book, Jenna? You can uh, get it from iUniverse, iUniverse iUniverse.com, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble, and in Canada, Chapters and Indigo, you know, everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere, everywhere everywhere great books are sold. We can get your book just by telling them. Telling them, you know, please order this for me, or you can go online yourself and order it direct from any of those sites or direct from iUniverse. If you want to get a free preview page, get a little more detail about what's in store for you, iUniverse has the big scoop, and Amazon has, and Barnes & Noble, um, etc. They have a little bit, not as much as iUniverse, but they have some. Well, thank you, Jenna. Thank you for being on this edition of iUniverse Radio. Thank you, Steve. That was Jenna Lindsay. She is the author of her book, The Traveler.
You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. He's a diehard American. He's right, and he has the last name to prove it. He's Jason Wright, the host of The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet Radio. Jason is a father and self-made entrepreneur who turned a struggling East Texas real estate firm into a top-notch million-dollar company. Jason Wright loves America and is very concerned about where we are headed as a nation. He's dedicated to traditional American values. Jason Wright. Join us every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern for The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet.com. Maybe if I write a book, it will be the thing that keeps me alive. Those are the troubled words of a new 16-year-old author with her first thought-provoking book, What Gives? Published by Togi Entertainment. The author kept a diary during her dark teenage times, which turned into a 360-page suicide note with a happy ending. Texas Monthly describes teen author Chelsea Marie and her new book, What Gives? in this provocative way. We've plunged from page to page, not because of the young diarist's despondency. Depression is not especially attractive or compelling but because we are fascinated to see that while she is fending off demons on one hand, she is writing verse with the other. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Readers of What Gives are giving rave reviews. All social scientists, teachers, and students should use this book as a learning tool. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, What God Wants You to Know, and the author is Raul Ledesma, and Raul joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Raul. Good morning. Good to have you with us. Now, we're going to talk about this book that you have written uh, focused on our relationship with God, and I want to read a portion of your introduction. Uh, You write this, This book was not written for theologians, scholars, religious people, nor pastors. It was written in an easy-to-understand manner so that if you have never read the Bible, do not understand Christian language, have no idea about God's principles, do not know who God is, or that he even exists, you can develop an interest in learning more about him. Since it is not a religious book, it is not intended to bring you into a religion. The reason for that is that no religion can open the gates of heaven to you, only God can. Why did you write the book, What God Wants You to Know, Raul? Well, because I know we're in the end times, what we call the end times. In other words, Jesus is coming back. And I know there's a heaven and there's a hell. And I know that God wants people to repent and to go to heaven. And that's exactly what I want. Because if we are what we call ourselves Christians, we actually love people. And it doesn't matter the color, the age, the social status or anything. We just want people to go to heaven, which is God's... uh, God's desire for us is just that we have gotten away from God. And many people don't know anything about God. Um, uh, the only God they know is, is maybe um, what they see in a movie or hear from their friends or even here in, um, in a church. And sometimes that's, that's not an accurate description of God because God wants to be our best friend, our father, our God, our King, everything to us, and He can be all that. And people are living a short life, 
not not just short in years, but uh, not really getting the fulfillment they should get, because they don't know that God actually wants to bless them. Yeah, you. And so anyway, that's why I wrote it so people will have a relationship with Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and uh, of course spend eternity with God. You say that the information in this book transcends time, cultures, languages, age groups, social status, educational level, and any other barrier we may think of. Yes, because sometimes we put barriers to, uh, you know, racial barriers or social barriers or educational barriers or uh, culture. Uh, We ourselves put up barriers and... uh, God has no barriers, and I also wrote it in an easy manner that anybody can understand it, and you're not going to feel insulted if you're a doctor and read it or a scientist and read it. It's not first grade level, but yet it's not, you don't have to be a professor in college to read it, and it's easy going, and I explain everything in detail and in a practical way that people can immediately put it to use some of the principles that are discussed in the Bible or in the book because they come from the Bible. I get everything exactly from the Bible. I don't add, I don't detract uh, because I watch some evangelists on TV and I love them, some of them, but some of them add to it or make it, they make it say what it doesn't say. They ad lib or they put something in between the lines and they say, where does it really say that in the Bible? <laughs> and then suddenly they take away from it. You know, they don't... Uh, give you the full powers to who God is and what he can do and that he's real, that he's alive, that he can help you now, not only in eternity, but now. And so I want to make sure that it applies to everybody. So it doesn't matter the race, the culture, the time. Uh, this book will always be uh, right up front. Uh, it will always help people. It doesn't matter what problem they have. God can help with any problem. And that's what I explained there. Uh, it, it's all about faith. It's all about believing. It's all about having the truth. And uh, the Bible says, my, uh, which Jesus said, of course, God said, my people perish because of lack of knowledge. And so if we don't know something, how can we claim something we don't know? It's like if you don't know there's a speed limit and you're going 100 miles an hour and the speed limit is 35, you'll probably wind up in jail. <laughs> but if you go to Germany, where I lived for years, and there's no speed limit, you do 100 and nothing happens. Uh, so God says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And I just want them to have that knowledge, who God really is and how he wants them to live and how he can help them as well as help me. Now, you've been a believer all your life in, in the existence of God. However, you say you never prayed, read the Bible, nor went to church, but all that changed in 1978. Tell us what happened. Well, I always knew there was a God. My grandmother used to tell me there was a God. My mother told me there was a God, but I never went to church. I never, I knew there was a God, but I thought he was like so far distant from me that that he couldn't hear me or see me or anything like that. And that he would just, you know, probably didn't really care that much, made the world, forgot about it, and, and, and he's in heaven and we're here. But in 1978, Jesus actually appeared to me in a vision I saw him, and I don't know how long I saw him because um, I, I, I just got home from work and I was tired and uh, I closed my eyes, uh, and as soon as I closed my eyes, I'm talking about maybe two seconds, he appeared to me. It was a vision, but he was more real than anything I'd seen, 
and uh, I don't know if I saw him for 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 40 minutes, because I, uh, even though I never went to church, I knew he was Jesus, and, and I knew he was God. And he was just looking at me with his, his hands extended out to me, like, come to me. And so I wanted to see him as long as I could, but then after a while I said, well, I'm sure it's him, and I'm sure he's calling me. And, and I already saw enough of him, so I opened my eyes, and he was no longer there. But I don't know if it was 10 minutes, 15, 20, 30, I have no idea. But I saw him until I was completely sure, satisfied, it was him. And I saw him as clear as I've seen anything in my life. Uh, three, three months later, I was watching television in the morning, because I had many, many, many problems. So at about 5.30, 5 in the morning on a Sunday, I was watching television because I had nothing else to do and I had so many problems. And Oral Roberts was on. At, when I was young, we used to kind of make fun of Oral Roberts. We used to laugh because he used to say, be healed. And we used to say, be healed, but it was a joke to us. But this time, uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and I'm watching him and I received the Lord Jesus Christ through him. And I became what they call a born-again Christian. About, I don't know, maybe a year or two later, I went to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I spent four days with Oral Roberts and people praying, and we saw all kinds of people get healed uh, from all kinds of diseases, including people I knew. So I knew it was real. You know, they were not faking it. It was people I knew that had something wrong with them, and they were healed right in front of my eyes. So from the beginning, I really became a believer. As Oral Roberts used to say, expect a miracle today. And I started expecting a miracle. And I started getting them. I'm a pragmatist, so if I had not seen miracles right from the beginning, I wouldn't have been a Christian. That's probably why Jesus appeared to me, because if I hadn't seen him, I was the type who used to say, uh, show me, and I'll believe. If I didn't, you know, I'm a school teacher, so I'm saying, show me, and I believe. And if he hadn't shown himself to me, I probably wouldn't believe. And if I hadn't seen the miracles immediately, I probably wouldn't believe. But I started seeing miracles immediately uh, because I expected them. And that's one of the things I talk to the people in the book. How can you get a miracle if you don't expect it, if you don't really believe it? In other words, somebody has cancer and you pray for them, but you say, they're not going to get sick. I, I'm not sure. Or you're the one who has cancer and people pray for you. And say, I'm not sure about these people. I probably will not get healed. Well, if you have doubts, you will not be healed. Because what Jesus explains several times in the Bible, he'll tell people, be done to you according to your faith, or your faith has made you whole. He didn't say, I heal you, even though we knew it was him. He said, according to your faith, or uh, your faith has healed you. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, according to the Bible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, Hebrews 11.6. So we have to have faith, and, and thank God, from day one I had faith. I didn't know much about the Bible, but I had faith. And throughout the years, of course, I have read the Bible, I have prayed, I have heard God's voice many times. I only saw him once, but I have actually heard his voice many times, just like he talked to me. I mean, a couple of times he talked to me, and I'm alone, and I look around, because I think somebody else is there, <laughs> and I don't see him. I don't see anybody. It was just him talking to me, uh, telling me something, you know. It's all like a sentence, 
nothing long, like a sentence, like, you are correct, or do this, or, you know, something like that. Um, but I, I, I know 100% is him. Well, let's look uh, so at... So I learned to, learn to, to understand his voice. Let's look at some of your uh, chapter titles. I'm going to read a few, uh, and then we'll comment on some of them. Uh, who needs God? Which God should I choose? What can God do for you? The first thing you should do. The Bible, creation, the creator, a triune God, the divine trinity. Goes on to talk about God's will. Uh, here's one, God's purpose for your life. Now, tell us about that. Well, some people go through life and say, I, I don't know why I'm here. I remember the 70s. I wasn't one of those, but the people, I'm, I'm looking for myself. I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> so the Bible is very clear. God wanted a family. That's why he sent Jesus to die for us, so we could be reconciled back to God and become his family. So we are his children. So our purpose is to, to serve God, to be a light for Jesus to others, to take the word of God to other people, as I am doing. That's our purpose in life. Uh, my favorite scripture is um, Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything will be added unto you. So we have to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness uh, in everything we do. Uh, I was a high school teacher, but what I used to do, I offer God my day in the morning. I said, Father God, I offer you this day to you. Use me as you will to do your will. And something like that. And everything I do, I offer to God because that's my main purpose, to serve God. Every human being, the main purpose is to get close to God. Eventually, we have to go back to heaven and be with him throughout eternity. That, that's our job here. Now, we may be a lawyer, we may be a teacher, we may be an engineer, or whatever else we may be. And that's okay. Do the best job you can, which I tell people in the book and everywhere else. Do the best you can everywhere you go, because we actually represent God. And also, how can we help people if we're not doing the best we can? So we have to learn as much as we can about the Bible, but not only about the Bible, about things, you know, mathematics, English, whatever it is, whatever we do, learn as much as we can and do it as if we were doing it unto God. Well, here's some other... Here's you some, have a business, and then don't do it as I'm doing it to the client. Do it as if you're doing it unto God. If you do it unto God, you're going to do well. <laughs> well, that's for sure. We appreciate your positive attitude and your teaching, uh, Raul. Here's some other headings in your chapters. Uh, you will not be saved by your works, only the shedding of blood redeemed sin, obedience or disobedience. Here's one. It rains on the just and the unjust. We have a couple minutes left, so it rains on the just and the unjust. Give us some of your philosophy on that. Well, this is a big question because some people always have the question, if God is so good, why do bad things happen to good people? Which is true, right? And God says it rains on the just and the unjust. In other words, when a hurricane hits, all the people living in that area are affected the just and the unjust, the Christian, non-Christian, believers, unbelievers, they all get whacked the same way, you know, because of the hurricane. Now, why did a hurricane come? Probably because God is judging the area. You know, maybe there's a lot of witchcraft, uh, uh, something they're doing against God, and God is judging, because he's judging today as he was 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago. He said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so what happened, if I happen to be living in that area, 
uh, something's going to happen to me just because I'm there. Or maybe somebody else did something. It's not God's fault, but something caused this to happen, and I'm just in the area. But see, people think that the bad things here, um, they happen to us, that's eternal. The thing is that no matter what happens to us here, we have eternal life. And, and that thing, the worst thing that might happen to me, let me put it this way, I'm going to die. But I don't even, I'm not afraid of dying because I'm going to heaven. So it's not really a bad thing. <laughs> it's not really a bad thing. That's why I don't really care when I die. I don't want to die soon, but if I die, it's no problem with me. I'm going to heaven. So, because I'm just. So what happens, bad thing, the thing that happened to us in this earth, it's really nothing compared to the goodness we're going to get when we go to heaven. This is just like, uh, like kindergarten, let's say, preparing you for school. And because uh, eternity would be the rest of life or the rest of our education. So, you know, things do happen to the, to the just here, but it, it's all in God's plan. And it might have been also because somebody else has sin. The Bible says that uh, it goes to the third, fourth, fifth generation. If my parents sin or my grandparents or great-grandparents, I may be paying for what they did. Or the people where I live did something wrong, not me, but other people, and I'm paying for what they did. So that happens. Uh, and so that's why people always have the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, maybe not even bad. Like if a child is three years old and he dies, and then why did he die? Maybe the child would have suffered a lot in this world, and God takes him home earlier. Because all the children go to heaven anyway. All children go to heaven. They're innocent. And, and the same thing with another human being. Uh, he might be suffering, suffering. God takes him home early, so he will not suffer so much. So you have to look at it in the perspective, uh, from God's perspective, and also from eternity, not just from now. Why am I suffering now? When I received Jesus Christ in 1978, I was really hurting. I was going through a lot of pain, through a lot of trouble. Uh, and, then I and, and then I would have said, why am I going through all this pain? If I had not been going through that pain, I would not have received Jesus Christ. Because I thought, I'm self-sufficient, I'm a school teacher, I've got a master's degree, I'm intelligent, i got money in the bank, uh, and so on down the line. I, I, I thought it was me. And then when God knocked me completely down, completely down, I thought, wait a minute, I need somebody else. I need something higher than me. I need something more intelligent than me. And it was God, of course. But I would have never done it unless I had seen it or unless I had been so low on my life that I had no option. I really had no option, nowhere to turn, no human being could help me where I was, uh, sort of stuff, and, and only God could. Well, Raul, we really appreciate your faith and, and your uh, wisdom and your understanding of, of, the, of the Bible. We really appreciate you uh, writing this book. It's available in two languages, Spanish and English. Tell us how to get your book. Uh, well, first of all, it's going to be in the bookstores, but uh, they can also get a hold of me uh, by an email. It's rlsalvation at sbcglobal.net. rlsalvation at sbcglobal.net. Right. Or, or they can also write to us at um, 2718 Decoy Drive, D-C-O-Y. Parks, Nevada, eight nine four three six. Well, we want to thank you for being on this edition of iUniverse Radio, Raul. Thank you so much. Well, God bless you, and, and um, keep believing in God because He's real. Like I say, He is so real, 
If not, I had not, I would not have seen you if you were not real, or I would not have heard his voice. <laughs> that was Raul Ledesma. He is the author of his book, What God Wants You to Know. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by Toginet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.